Welcome to the Pacific Point Church Podcast, where we're learning to love and live like Jesus. During this half hour, we're praying that God will direct, encourage, and speak to you. If you would like to partner with Pacific Point Church and our church plants, visit us at pacificpointchurch.com give. At that same site, you can also watch and listen to previous sermons, read follow-up blog posts and extended notes, and even connect with Pacific Point Church on social media. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Sorry, Johnny's not here. Sorry to disappoint. You're stuck with me this morning. Sorry. Um, We have a dear friend who uh, some of us in this room know, and um, he he got remarried this morning. And so John surprised him and went to Nashville and kind of surprised him in a Costco, ran into him in the Costco, and um, he didn't know he was going to be there. And so it was really fun. So anyway. Um, So fun. So he's not here. So we're in a series on Ephesians. Woo. Hello. Check microphone one, two. Hallelujah. It's a little feedback too. Hallelujah. Okay. All right. Um, We are in a series on Ephesians, as you know, and then we took a break for a couple weeks to talk about Israel. John did that. And then um, I'm going to talk to you this morning about seasons, which where's Josh? Josh is always in tune with what the Lord is doing. I love that we sang great is thy faithfulness, right? Summer and winter and springtime and harvest. God has created seasons for us. And, uh, you know, thinking about John being in Tennessee, where I'm from, they get to enjoy four seasons, us not so much. But there are different seasons in life that we experience, right? And so um, we are going to talk this morning about perceiving seasons and staking ground. So if you're taking notes, that is the title of our message, Perceiving Seasons and Staking Ground. And um, we all know each other pretty intimately around here, and so we know that we're in different seasons of life. And you may be in a dry one, you may be in a fruitful one, you may be in a hopeful one, you may be in a difficult one, but there are different seasons that we find ourselves in, ourselves in. And for me personally, I know for us right now it feels, um, you know, sometimes there's a season you find yourself in that feels a little iffy, you know, you're not quite sure, but it's the kind of middle ground to get you to the next place. And that's kind of what it feels like for us right now. We're kind of um, on the move again and kind of, you know, reevaluating some different things. So anyway, we are going to look at Ecclesiastes 3. This is a well-known passage that talks about seasons, but we're just going to read it this morning. We're going to look at verses 1 through 8. You can see it up there. I have my Bible here, but I think I might have to read it up there depending on how my glasses go. Okay, so here we go. Ecclesiastes 3. There is an occasion for everything and a time for every activity under heaven, a time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, the one I love, a time to dance, a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to avoid embracing, a time to search and a time to count as lost, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. And so, Father, we just thank you so much that you are here with us in this time. 
Lord, I pray that you would, as Josh prayed, ready us, Lord. Steady us and ready us for the season that you have us in, the one that we just came out of, and the season that you have for us next. Lord, I have a lot of notes and a lot of thoughts, and I ask that you would push me aside, Holy Spirit, that you would come and that you would speak and you would move and you would have your way here today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so as we go, I want you to think about the season that you find yourself in. And I used the word perceive on purpose because the word perceive means to become aware or conscious of something in a particular way. We know the verse in Isaiah 43 that says, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Will you not perceive it? Rivers in the wasteland, streams in the desert, they're springing up. Will you not perceive it. And so are you aware that you are in a particular season and you are looking at it in a conscious way, a particular way, God's way, and knowing what God is saying in that encounter? So an epic is a period of time some call it, I call it epic, John Blue, epoch. Epoch is a period of time, seasons are pockets of time defined by events within that span, right? So you have times when you're young, maybe you're at home with your parents, that's a season. You're in high school, you're in the high school season. You have young kids, that's a season. You're getting married, that's a season of time. The good news is that they don't last forever. If you're going through a hard one, that's good news for you, right? They don't last forever. Maybe a not so good news if uh, you're like Colette. I don't know if y'all know that Chris and Colette had little baby um, Luke Fisher this week. So that's a super sweet season for them. Super excited about that. But the great thing, and John Blue quotes it all the time, is after we read verses 1 through 8, where we talk about the different seasons in life, 10 and 11 says this, God has made everything beautiful in its time. He has put eternity into man's heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. And we talk a lot about here, around here, about um, like a parade vision. You know how like when you're in a parade and you kind of pop your squat there on the sidewalk and you really can only see the float that's right in front of you. You're not sure if the marching band is coming this way. You're not sure if Santa is bringing up the rear this way. You can kind of only see what's right in front of you. And so many of us have that perspective on the season that we're in. We can only see what's right here. It's hard to see what God did here. It's hard to see what God is doing next. But um, one of the things that one of my uh, sons was telling me about was sight lines on his gun sight lines. And it's an interesting thing because he said, Mom, this is how it works. I have a two-prong point and I have a one-prong point. And when I line those two points up together, then I hit my intended target. And so it was so good for me because I thought, I see this way. I only see one way. But God sees all ways. And if I'm just seeing through my one-point prong, I'm shooting all over the place. But if I'm lining up my vision with the way God sees perfectly through that, then I hit the intended target that he has for me within my season. GK, oh, a little clap, oh, yeah, right. G.K. Chesterton says this, why should the eye be so lazy? Let us exercise the eye until it learns to see through the fat of things down to the eternal 
of things. There is this call for every Christian to answer his calling to be an ocular surgeon. Our seeing must cut through surfaces and down to souls. And I want to tell you about the sons of Issachar who knew how to cut through surfaces. In 1 Chronicles 12, David is listing the men who aided him in battle. And when he gets to the boys of Issachar, he stops and he pulls them out of rank and he acknowledges them. He distinguishes them because of their unusual gift to discern the times. They were men of valor. They were valiant warriors. But because of their unusual gift that they had, their weapon was wisdom. They could read the seasons. They could understand the seasons. And their understanding made known to the king what Israel should do. And so like the sons of Issachar, we are, know, we are called to know the seasons that we're in. And the gift of reading and perceiving your seasons comes in very handy in times of uncertainty right? I know nobody likes to go back and think about COVID, but if you think about COVID, all of us were puzzled by it. Some of us were terrified by it, but there were others who understood that God was doing a shaking. You know, Hebrew says that everything that can be shaken will be shaken so that that which cannot be shaken shall remain, right? And so when you had someone who understood that there was a shaking going on so that what could remain would take place, then there was peace that followed that, right? So it's important to read the season that you're in because so you can stake the ground around it. So here's where we're going to get into the meat of what we're saying today, staking the ground. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says this, verses 9 and 10, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Many of you know this verse. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses. Right? That doesn't sound very fun. I take pleasure in hardships, persecutions, difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul here is referring back to the thorn in the flesh. He says that there was a messenger of Satan that came and gave him a thorn in the flesh. So for the sake of our, our time together, we're going to call it a thorny season. This was Paul's thorny season. And some theologians kind of debate and go back and forth about what the thorn in the flesh was. Some say that it was malaria. Some think maybe it was epilepsy. Others think it was maybe migraines or even depression. One of the things I read said depression. But the root word for the, the term that Paul uses for thorn in this passage is not thumbtack, but a tent stake. A tent stake. And that's what I want to sit on. A tent stake. Luke 19.13 says, And he called his ten servants, this is the landowner, called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said, Occupy until I come. Occupy. So as women, as wives, as moms, as men, as husbands, as dads, as believers, as leaders, there is territory that God has given us to occupy. Does that make sense? He's given us something to defend, to fight for. That looks like your family, your home, your neighborhood, your job, your school, your church, your community, right? And when you're in battle and you take over territory, you take a flag and you stick it in the ground to show that this land has been won, 
right? Have you seen that? Take it, you stick it in the ground, you say, this land has been won. The term to stake, to stake in the ground is actually a Native American term. And it came from when the tribes were, were battling and it looked like the one tribe was going to be defeated, they would take a, a stake and they would stick it in the ground and then they would take the leg of one of their warriors and they would tie the leg to the stake and he knew that his job was to stay there and defend that ground even unto death. He knew that that was his job. And so that's what that term comes from, is to stay there and defend the piece of ground. And so think about that. What has God called you to defend in the season that you're in? What has he called you to fight for? What do you hold stake in? Is it a loved one? Is it a different diagnosis? Is it a stronger marriage? We went to um, a Navy graduation recently of a friend's son, um, and he said, the, the captain who got up and spoke, he said, don't take things for granted because your enemy doesn't. That's what he said to the graduating class. Don't take your training for granted because the enemy doesn't take your, your training for granted, right? Satan won't let you take new territory without a fight. We had um, a friend, Big Tommy, years ago did a message. Remember when he did new levels, new devils? New levels, new devils. You're taking new territory. You're going to experience new warfare. And I can think of three times in my life that I practically had to use tent stakes. Okay, practically had to use tent stakes. The first one was when I was a kid. My parents divorced when I was seven. My mom was very smart, and she got the tent in the divorce. And so we went, to, we went uh, to the lake, and we went camping and boating every weekend. And so I have a very clear, vivid picture of these bright yellow plastic tent stakes that I drove into the ground to set up our tent every, every year that we did that every weekend. The second time was when we lived in Austin, Texas. We had lived downtown by the university. We had purchased a 1920s farmhouse that we totally restored on an acre of land, and it was absolutely amazing, except that it was haunted. Legitimately haunted. I will spare you the stories, but I was like, I cannot sleep in this house if the devil is in this house. So we took stakes, and we literally wrote on the stakes, peace of God. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The joy of the Lord lives here. And we drove them into all four corners of our property. And we did it again for the third time when we lived in another property here in Costa Mesa. And our family was under so much chaos. And the season was so heavy that we once again took the stake and staked it into the four corners of the property to claim that land for the Lord. So what land is God given you to stake in the season that he has you in? Does that make sense? All right. We're going to look at three particular seasons that God calls you to. Three particular ones. Usually you are in a season where you're called to fight, to die, or to be awake and aware to come alongside another. And really, realistically, it's usually a combination of all three of those. But these are the three seasons that we're going to look at. But before we get there, I want to remind you of one thing. We do not compare our seasons. Does that make sense? If I'm in a difficult season and I look over here and I see somebody else is in a really joyful, I don't get to go, what the heck? How come she's over there and I'm over here doing this, right? 1 Samuel 30, 24 and 25 says this, the share of the one who goes into battle is the same as the share of the one who stays with the supplies. 
they will share equally. And it has been so from that day forward. David established this policy as law and ordinance for Israel, and it still continues today. So there is blessing for you if you go to battle. There is blessing for you if you are called to remain. So what does that mean? That means if you are like having the time of your life, everybody in your family is healthy, you are reading your Bible, you are sharing the gospel, you are winning souls to Christ, everything's amazing, yay, so excited. And if you find yourself on the backside of the desert and really struggling, yay for you too, because God has you in a season where he is separating you and pulling you aside to him so that he can speak and do something beautifully in that. Um, I had a situation where when we were struggling, and um, I, I may have told you this, I don't remember, but I went on a walk with one of my friends, and the kids were the same ages, and she was legitimately met lamenting where her child was going to go to school. And as we were walking around the bay, she said, I just don't know, I'm just so, like, is he gonna go to Harvard or is he gonna go to NYU? Like, I just don't know. And I was like, oh, you poor thing. I was like, <laughs> I, was like I just, I don't even know if my, my child is gonna get out of bed the next day or live another day, but hey, you good luck with that Ivy League school that you need to pick out. So, but And that's what we want to say, right? But it's not fair. It's not fair. Because what happened a year later is I was in a better place and she was struggling. But because I didn't sever that friendship, I had hope from my season to share with her in her season. That makes sense? So we don't compare our hard. We stake the ground that God has given us to walk in and not the ground that God has given somebody else. I could look at I could look at Tracy. Tracy's got a cute dress on today. She lives down on the island. She's got a great marriage. She leads a Bible study. Mm, I like Tracy's ground. I want to put my stake in Tracy's ground. Right? Or if you're a man in here and you're looking look at Melvin, Melvin's so handsome and he's smart and got a great wife and a great, and you're like, I want to put my stake in Melvin's ground. But here's the deal when we put our stake in someone else's ground, it leaves our ground unprotected. And we need, in the kingdom of God, in the body of Christ, we need what your ground produces. And so you leave your fruit open to the enemy's attack when you're not staking what you've called to do and trying to stake somebody else's, okay? All right, so we're in our three seasons. The first one is to fight. It is one thing to fight with the familiar, something that you know. It is another thing entirely to fight the unfamiliar, something that you did not expect, something that you did not plan for. And so I'm hoping to run through these really quickly. There's no rhyme or reason. But when John and I do marriage material, we always do what we call ROEs. And there are rules of engagement. There are guidelines that we set forth ahead of time before the fight that that kind of guard how we fight so that when we do fight, because we know that's going to come, we fight well. Does that make sense? And so kind of the same way, when you're in a season where you're called to fight, you want to know how to fight well. And we went through a time that was very, it was a heavy time of suffering, but in the suffering there is also birthing. And most of you know our story, and so I'm going to skip that just for the sake of time. But our knowing how to fight 
in a season where we had to birth some principles that worked for us, and so maybe it will for you too. First thing, you've heard me say this a million times, and I, I told the Lord I will testify every time I have a mic in my hand, and so you'll hear it again and again and again. God is not moved off his throne the way you are thrown by this move. Whatever thorny season you find yourself in, whatever you are up against, God is not surprised by it. He is faithful. He is sovereign. He knows from beginning to end. He's a good God. He has a good plan. And even when it's murky and messy and we don't understand it, we can trust him in it. All right? He is not surprised by that. God, um, that's how I say it. James Bryan Smith said it this way, I am one in whom Christ dwells and delights. I live in the strong and unshakable kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not in trouble, and neither am I. The kingdom of God is not in trouble, and neither am I. And so chaos and crisis, I describe them. There are lots of things that I describe like this, and chaos and crisis are one of them. They are like the twins from The Shining. <laughs> Do you all remember the twins from The Shining? I hate horror movies, I hate Halloween, I hate all that stuff. But those two little girls standing in that hallway like this, come and play with us forever and ever. And that's what chaos and crisis do. That's what all those things do. They say, come play with us. And so there are only so long that you can be sad. There's only so long that you can be angry. There's only so long that you can be despondent about the season that you're in. And then at some point, you wake up and go, Burr! It's cold in here. There must be a shift in the atmosphere. I said burr. Do y'all remember that from um, Bring It On? Do y'all remember the cheerleader movie? When she was like, burr, there must be a clover in the atmosphere, right? That's what you do. At some point, you stand up and go, uh-uh, there must be a shift in the way this home is working right now. There must be a change in my heart in the way we are addressing the chaos right now. So, yes, they will ensue and they will pursue, but you are shifting the atmosphere. You are no longer wildly overreacting. You are wisely responding. You are no longer fighting thoughts with thoughts. We say this all the time. You're fighting thoughts with kind words to one another, hopeful words to one another, words of truth, the word, the Bible. You are using that. You are speaking life. You are declaring and decreeing over your situation. Yes, yes, we can do this. Yes, God has given us the grace. Yes, he is with us in this. Sometimes the war is won through worship. Sometimes when you don't have an answer for something and you have no hope for something, you put on that worship music and you let the worship change the atmosphere in the room. The season that you're in, if it's a thorny one, it marks you, but it does not get to define you. It does not get to say the whole of what your story is. Only God gets to do that. Find your people to walk with you in that season. Find your people to walk with you in that season. The, um, I was telling Tracy this earlier. Again, I would say this all day long. Um, Sarah Jakes Roberts, she's getting ready to speak at Elmore's Church on uh, next weekend for their last recharge event. She did a message once, um, and it was on Revelation 12:6, and it radically changed my perspective of the season that we were in. And it said, there was a woman who fled into the wilderness where there was a place prepared for her by God where she would be nourished for 1,260 days. 
It changed me, changed me completely because I said, hold up, wait a minute. God's not surprised by what's happening to me. He sees my, my season. He sees the hard. And in the middle of the wilderness, there's already a place prepared for me by him where I'm actually going to be sustained, where I'm going to be nourished. And it's for 1,260 days. See, that's the caveat because she got to know how long her suffering would be, but we don't get to see that. Right? We don't get to see how long that season lasts, but we can have the same hope that she did in that. Just like with biblical battles, there are spoils to be taken from the fight. Listen to this. Spoils to be taken. Deuteronomy 24:14. You shall use the spoil of enemies which the Lord your God has given you. Flocks, herds, food, treasure, plunder. These are the, some of the things that the, the armies would come back So you are taking back from the enemy the spoils and appropriating them for yourself. What the enemy tried to take away, you're taking them back. Don't dare leave behind what you won on the battlefield, right? We talk all the time about Psalm 8116 and the honey that comes from the hard places. And so our spoils, as you know, what we thought was devastating is now a little boy who runs around through these rows all the time. Just a little piece of joy, right? TJ, the things that we're seeing with TJ. Baptisms, do you all remember the baptisms that were happening when we were back over in the other location with the sober living community? Things that were happening and that were spoils from the season that looked like one thing that God turned into something else. Second, here we go. Power, this is the die. Die. Second Corinthians 12, Paul said of his thorny season that he was in God's grace God's grace was sufficient for him. He had to believe that. But we don't believe that God's grace is sufficient for us until we know that we are insufficient. That's a hard one for us sometimes. But Acts 13.22 says this, And when he had removed Saul, this is God talking about switching the kings, when he had removed Saul, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do my will. And we know that part, right? We know that God, Dave was a man after God's heart. We love that. But we sometimes forget that God has to remove something before he can raise up something else. Raise up something else. <clears throat> part of dying and part of what God sometimes wants to remove in us is a pride, is a spirit of pride. I want to um, show uh, the picture of Haru Anoda right quick. I want to tell you about Haru Anoda because we cannot say that we are Christians without the yielding. Hebrews 12 says this, No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So the picture of Haru is this. He was the last Japanese imperial soldier. This was at the end of World War II, and the fighting had completely ceased. They had signed a treaty. The war was over. He was still in the jungles hiding out. Okay, now you would think, okay, that makes sense. Maybe he was on a covert mission. He didn't realize the war was over. Six months, okay. Finally, they're going to get word to him. A year, two years, no. They end up sending planes over and dropping flyers to let this one man hiding out in a jungle know that the war was over. And he thought it was a joke. He thought it was trickery. He thought it was a scheme by the enemy to draw him out. And he was so committed to the ground and the season that God had called him to stake that he said, I'm not going. I refuse to yield. 
This is a picture of Haru Anoda finally yielding his sword to the king of the Philippines after 29 years. 29 years, the battle had completely won and over, and he was still fighting it. And that's what it feels like when we don't yield. That's what it feels like when we don't die to that pride. And so we want to ask ourselves, have we handed over the thing that we think protects us, the thing that we think provides victory for us, right? So that's part of dying. Another thing we die to is timing. Seasons are measured in two types of timing. Chronos, days, minutes, quantitative, right? This is how much time we have. Or Kairos, qualitative, how well we live the time that we have. Kairos is mostly used to describe an opportune moment, a due season, a strategic time, an urgency to grab it now. That's what a kairos is, right? It's like you, you're encountering a divine appointment somewhere and you have a brief in, you know, encounter to really impart something significant. Or if you have young kids at home, you're still in a time where you're imparting to them. You have a brief season to impart to them. Professor Joseph F. Maria from Asade School of Business and Law in Barcelona says this, to grasp kairos time, remember this is how well we live, we have to release some of our anxiety around chronos time. What does that mean for us? We have to die to how long we thought this season would last. Right? We, like we said, we don't get to know how long the season lasts. I was thinking about this morning, the woman with the issue of blood, right? She's thinking, okay, I'm bleeding for a little bit. And then 12 years later, she's still believing. But we do know, we already said that seasons don't last forever. And so we don't want to mismanage our time there. We want to glean and grow from that season while we're in that season. And so another thing that we do when we're in this particular season, this particular fight that God's called us to, this particular time of dying, this particular time of walking alongside another, is that we become watchmen. We are watching in a steward. We are stewards who are focused watchmen. Our senses are attuned to what the Holy Spirit is doing. We're asking where he's already moving. How can I partner with you where you're already at work, right? Mark 12, at Mark 13 and Mark 14, Jesus connects prayer to vigilant watching. And twice he told his disciples, watch and pray. Watch. And the story, you remember the story of the ten virgins and how they were to stay awake and they were wait for the bridegroom, but because they didn't prepare and because they didn't watch, some of them were asleep. Some of them ran out of oil. Some of them ran, they were asleep. And by the time the bridegroom came along, they missed that call because they weren't prepared. They weren't watching. And so in prayer, we're not hiding from current events. We're not hiding in a season that's very difficult for us, but we're praying with eyes wide open so that we can discern the time and detect God's footsteps. Another thing we're doing is we're always overcoming. We're always overcoming. We talked about that verse in Isaiah, behold, I'm doing something new. Some of us do not perceive the new thing that God is doing because we were never obedient in the old thing that God did. Does that make sense? I know I had a season I was walking through and I was riddled with fear. And it was just like fear, 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 fear. I'm so afraid. I'm so afraid. I can't obey because I'm just so afraid. And then one day I woke up and I went, I'm so tired of being afraid. I'm so tired of fighting fear. I'm over fear. I'm no longer fearful. 
I had about a day or two days before I was just all of a sudden apathetic completely complacent, apathetic. It's like the enemy was like, oh yeah, you don't want to battle fear anymore? Well, let me give you something else you can battle, right? And so there's always an overcoming that we are stepping into. But some of us don't perceive the old thing, can't perceive the new thing because we didn't do the old thing. And we don't want to miss the season that God has here because we're so busy looking back at what we came out of or looking ahead at what he had for us to come. We're talking about dying, but dying does not mean quitting, right? We did not raise no quitters. We're not doing that. We are in this for the long haul. We want a lifetime faith. And so I know that we talked about um, our son who's in the military, and one of the things that we told him was, you can quit tomorrow, but not today. You can quit tomorrow, but not today. And that's what, you know, John Blue talks a lot about waking up in the morning and just saying, I quit, I quit. I lay down my control. I lay down all these things that I can't fix. You can quit tomorrow, but not today. And we gave him some F words that he could say, and I know it's Sunday morning, but look at these. You can be fatigued from the fight, but you cannot forfeit. It's not about how you feel, but what's being forged. And so you may personally be in a thorny season. You may be in a time where you're called to fight. You may be in a time where you're called to die. But if you're not in one of those places, you are usually called, this last one, to be awake and aware for someone else. To be awake and aware for someone else. It's always, always so that you can bring hope to somebody else. Because when you're in that place, God does something. He does a stripping. He does a ripping. Sometimes it looks like a whipping, right? But there is always an equipping, an ability to peel back and see the hurt around you. So one last stake and we'll be done. You guys all right? Very quiet out there. Okay. Um, is that I have a fiddly fig. If you've been to my house, which many of you have, you know I have that huge fig plant that kind of towers over in the corner. And at one point it was leaning over toward the light and kind of falling in. And I had to take a what? Not a tent stake, but a garden stake, a tall, long garden stake. And I had to dig it into the dirt and tie it around the, um, the roots. And I had to pull it back up. And that is what the word is for us. The word is what we stake everything on. The word is when, when the trunk of my heart starts to lean one way, the word is the, the unbendable, the dependable and unbendable thing that pulls it back to upright right? When, when kind of things start to branch out in insecurity or leaves of failure start to fall, all of those things, the, the stake driven down into the ground and rooted is what pulls me back to upright. And so we always want to remember to have that stake in the ground and pull back to upright. Leonard Ravenhill says this, he doesn't have your affections if he has to keep to compete for your attention right? And there's so many things that vie for our attention, but we want to make sure that we're making time for the word because that is the only thing that's changing our heart. That's really the only thing that's changing our perspective on the season that we're in. Louis Giglio says this, when you fill your mind with scripture, you get to control the playlist of your mind. And as you know, John Blue says, word, pray, worship, day, every day. 
So Jesus knew what it was to have a hard season. He knew how to perceive the seasons that he was in. He knew, obviously, how to stake the ground around him and what to do with it. He wore a crown of, of thorns, so he can definitely identify with a thorny season. But remember, the pressure of your thorn always points back to the power of the cross always points back to the power of the cross. And I just want to read, I want to, I want to end um, with this and just read this over you, and then we'll pray and we'll shift into communion. But do you guys remember the, the cartoon? Some of you are probably very familiar with it, with their little kids at home. But The Incredibles, did you see The Incredibles? Do you remember when they're sitting around the dinner table and Bob is, you know, kind of, he's distracted and like he's looking at the paper or whatever. And then the mom, Elastigirl, all of a sudden everything's like chaos and Dash is running around the table and Vi's fighting and somebody's knocking at the door. And all of a sudden she goes, Bob, it's time to engage, right? That's what she says. She said, it's time to engage. And I think sometimes we get in a place and get in a season where we do just want to check out. We do just want to be done with it. But I just, I want to say this to you. First Timothy, this is Paul talking to Timothy. There's several things that he says here. First Timothy 6.20, he says this, guard what has been entrusted to you. Protect, fight for, stand at the ready, and engage. That's what guard is. First Timothy 1.18, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies previously made about you. What was said about you before? What was poured into you before? So that by recalling them, you may fight the good fight, having faith and a good conscience. Some reject these and shipwreck the faith. Do not shipwreck your faith. Do not be in a season that is so hard and so difficult and so life-draining that you completely walk away. That you just completely say, I can't do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. I have no more hope for this anymore. And you walk away. And I know what that feels like. I know so tangibly what that feels like when you are fighting for your family and you're fighting for your loved ones and you're fighting for your heart to want to shipwreck your faith. Don't give up the ship. 2 Peter 3.1 says this, I want to stir up your sincere understanding by way of a reminder a reminder so that you recall the words previously spoken over you. So again, in another place, he's saying, remind yourself, recall the words that were spoken over you. Second Peter 3.14, therefore, dear friends, while you wait for these things, he's talking about a new earth, a new heaven. While you wait for your season to be over, while you wait for hope to come, while you wait for the answer prayer that you're looking for, while you wait for Jesus, the face of Jesus, which ultimately is all you need in this. Make every effort to be found without spot or blemish in his sight and at peace. Again, Second Peter, be on your guard so that you're not led away by the error of lawless people and fall from your stable position. We are locked in a stable position with Jesus. And so what I want us to do is to remember to perceive the seasons, stake the ground, fight, die, yield, help others, all of those things, but have the hope to know that God is able to rescue. He's able to remind and recall, and while you wait, be at peace so that we don't fall from the position that we're in. Father, thank you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you so much, Father, for today. Lord, I thank you for um, who you are. Lord, I thank you for the seasons that we find ourselves in, Lord, whether summer or winter or springtime or harvest one that is plentiful and joyful and abundant, or one that is difficult. 
and heavy and uncertain. Lord, I thank you that you are right there with us in all of those things, Lord. And I pray just now, even as, um, even as just Josh and Joel start to come up and we shift into a time of communion, Lord, I thank you for the blood that was shed on the cross, Lord. I thank you for what the juice and the bread represent. Lord, I thank you that we can have a time of reflection, that before we come forward and before we come before you and take the elements that make us new, Lord, that refresh us, that regenerate us in in just amazing ways, Lord. I thank you that we can sit with you, that we can hear you, that we can press into you. Father, I just, for just personally, Lord, just repent for times that I thought, you know what, I just cannot deal with this. I am just so sad and so heavy burdened and so tired, just tired. And Lord, I repent, Father. I just lay that down, Father, and just ask that you would just come near. And that, Lord, you would come near to every person who's in this place, regardless of the place they're in, that you would be so tangible for them so present with them that you would speak hope to them, that you remind and recall who you are, what you have, and that the season doesn't determine your faithfulness. The season doesn't change your plan. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. Thank you, Jesus, Lord. We thank you for the bread. We thank you for the blood. We thank you for the time of reflection. We thank you that we can do it with family. We thank you that we can do it as individuals, Lord. We thank you that we can be here in this house this morning, Lord. We give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.